Okay, resurrection power by the Holy Spirit is uh, what we're talking about today. The last few weeks, we've talked about resurrection power in our doubt, in our failures. And today, we're going to talk about resurrection power by the Holy Spirit. And so I'll, I'll read a passage here for us, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. Uh, it shows up in John chapter 14, and the verses following. Jesus speaking. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Let's just pray one more time here. Father God, we specifically ask as we look at these words of Jesus that Jesus, you truly would remind us of your presence. You would remind us who this Holy Spirit even is and what role the Holy Spirit has in our lives. What advantage is there that the Holy Spirit is with us and in us? So teach us, dear Holy Spirit, right now, as you're in our midst and you're here working mightily and very powerfully, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. The challenge before us today is to to trade up. And the challenge of trading up is while there's something always being offered to you of greater value, trading up means to let go of something of lesser value. That's an incredible challenge. You don't just grab the greater thing. You must let go of the lesser thing. There's a transaction. There's a trading that must take place. Back in uh, 2005, I don't know if you're familiar with this story that, that dropped online. It was called One Red Paperclip. You can Google this if you're not familiar with, some of you are familiar with this, nodding your heads, but one red paperclip. And the story was basically with a guy that started with one red paperclip, quite literally, and over several transactions, slowly but surely, he traded himself up little by little. I'll give you some of those trades that he did. One red paperclip, uh, he traded for a fish-shaped writing pen. This was all without any money, by the way. His whole idea was hoping he could trade up to actually land a house, and he did. Go read about it. Uh, The next thing he traded from the fish-shaped writing pen was a Coleman stove. He traded the Coleman stove for a generator. He traded a generator for a keg of beer. He traded a keg of beer for a snowmobile. Hold on a second. Let's just stop here. I don't know how one trades a keg of beer for a snowmobile. Um, Don't drink while you're on the snowmobile. I don't know how all this happened, but... um, the, 
the, the, the snowmobile, he traded for a moving truck, and the moving truck for a recording contract. Recording contract he traded for a year in Phoenix. Yeah, that, that was traded for an afternoon with Alice Cooper. <laughs> that was traded for a KISS snow globe. How was that a trade-up? I don't know. Um, one movie role, and on and on and on and on and on, all the way to a house. You're catching the principle, though, that I'm really trying to drive home here, is that to trade up, you have to let go of something that you held on to before. And a lot of times, you fight within yourself to tell yourself, oh, there's no way there's anything better than this. I'm going to settle. Um, let's look back uh, at Jesus' words just before Jesus is crucified. Just before Jesus goes to the cross, he's telling his disciples that he's going to leave them, and it's going to be to their advantage. It's like trading up, and they don't understand it. They don't know what he's talking about. How in the world, and we call this Good Friday, how in the world could this be to our advantage? You remember Jesus' words he said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper... And that's whom we're learning about today, the Holy Spirit. The Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So that's what we're looking at today is what's the advantage of the Holy Spirit coming to us? What is it? Let's just, let's go there. The second thing we want to look at is who is this Holy Spirit? And then lastly, where exactly is the Holy Spirit? Like right now, where is the Holy Spirit and what in the world is the Holy Spirit doing there? Okay, first off, um, and so these are just questions I thought that would guide us through this, but the first question is, what's the advantage of the Holy Spirit? Look at the promise. Look at uh, Jesus promising that it's, uh, it's basically the advantage is a deeper relationship with God that you're going to have. We tend to look back at those who like physically touched Jesus and walked with Jesus and ate with Jesus, and we're like, let's just go back. If we could, oh, wow, they, they had it so great. They, they saw Jesus, and if I could see Jesus, I'd believe. Jesus, remember his words when he says, blessed are those who haven't seen and still believe. Jesus himself is saying it's to your advantage. Look at our text here today, verse 16. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, and this helper will be with you forever. Back to the trading up, I remember my dad had a deal for me as a little kid. He, he wanted me to trade up, and he approached me with a dollar bill, and he told me that he would give me his dollar bill for my dime, shiny little dime I had, and I didn't want anything to do with his dollar bill. I wanted to keep my shiny little dime. It was something I could see. I didn't understand what uh, the dollar bill was really all about. And I think that's just like we are. We are those little kids. We look at these disciples and we go, how could you not understand that, that God's presence with all of you simultaneously, how could that not be better? We are those little kids. We like to hold on to what it is, whatever it is that, that we're holding on to. And some of us suffering from a serious lack of imagination, wondering how could God give me something better? Um... Some of us are, are, are unaware, and some of us are aware that we're holding on to lesser things, but, but all of us are clenching hold of something. 
And that's kind of the invitation today as you think about these things and listen to Jesus' words here. Is there something that you're holding on to of lesser value? Is there some expectation perhaps that you have of God that you're demanding of God to have it that way? And yet God is planning and dreaming and hoping from long ago to make the plan better than you had ever, ever imagined. So we should be asking ourselves, what things in my life represent right now that little dime? That little shiny little thing that I'm just clasping and and holding on to dearly, fearing that it's going to be taken away from me, fearing that there's something even greater out there that God wants to give me. This is part of who we are. Adam and Eve did this from the very beginning, holding on to the very thing that they felt like was going to give them fulfillment. That fruit, the very one that God said not to touch, that's the one that we must have. I will have it. I will go for it. God's people in the book of Exodus, as they wait for their leader Moses to return from meeting with God to receive the Ten Commandments, they decide to melt every piece of jewelry they have, and instead of trading up for God's plan, they decide to melt it down, trade down, and they develop a calf. Do you remember this story? That's not trading up, by the way. They, 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 they melt all of their jewelry and gold, and, 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 and uh, when Moses comes down from the mountain, he, he, he's, he's, he's very upset with them. He's mad with them because he notices, you've traded down. What have you done? And you'll remember their response. Well, we took our gold, we took our jewelry, we threw it in the fire, and out jumped, out popped this calf. Amazing response. Shucking any type of responsibility at all. Um, Psalm 106, verse 20, uh, the psalmist there saying that they, they, speaking of us, they exchanged the glory of God for an image of an ox that eats grass. That's you. That's me. In our weakest moment, we don't trade up. Um, we, we go for the lesser thing. Um, notice how this story unfolds, though, when it sounds like nothing but bad news here for these disciples that their good friend, their savior, their leader, is going away. Um, He promises them in verse 18, I will never leave you as orphans. You've got to imagine the disciples as they think about and try to process their leader, their their disciple maker is, is, is going to leave us? What? Maybe you deal with loneliness. Maybe you like being surrounded with people. Maybe that constant interaction with others makes you feel alive. Um, These disciples are not left with a dead-end story. Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. You may feel lonely. You may feel like you're single and that's the end of life and you just need a spouse or you need more friends or you just need someone who understands you. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans, he says. The second question here is, who is this Holy Spirit? I mean, we've looked at the promise of the Holy Spirit. We've seen that that's an amazing, miraculous advantage that God the Holy Spirit is going to be with you and in you. But, but who is this Holy Spirit? Well, the, the misconception when we start talking about the Holy Spirit um, is that it's a force. The Holy Spirit is a force. If I rub the genie the right way, if I live my life a certain way, he'll come out. He'll do good things for me. Um, 
uh, some of this might be influenced back in 1611 when, when our English translation of the Bible, the King James Version, um, that this Holy Spirit, the word there was ghost, the Holy Ghost. And maybe you grew up in a church where that language was used, the Holy Ghost. And so for some of us, we, we already have a relationship with the Holy Spirit like, oh my God, I don't want anything to do with the, who is this ghost? Um, so, yeah, in fact, if we were even to take a poll here or maybe among our friends, you know, who is the Holy Spirit? A lot of people would say uh, the, the Holy Spirit's a force. The Holy Spirit is some thing out there that, we're, that we really can't get, uh, get to know. But I want you to look at the personal qualities of the Holy Spirit. And what I'm trying to underscore here is that the Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is not a genie. The Holy Spirit is not even um, to be reduced to some wind that blows in occasionally and gets us all excited. But the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit in this very passage through Jesus, Jesus is very logically and emotionally linking himself with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. Trinitarian God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person, is what Jesus is saying. So notice the personal qualities here. Um, the intelligence that a normal person would have. The Holy Spirit has intelligence. The Holy Spirit's not just about feelings. We're going to get to that in a minute, but there's intelligence with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a helper, a counselor. The Holy Spirit will teach you all things, he says in verse 26. The Holy Spirit is incredibly intelligent, more than you and more than I am. Notice the will of the Holy Spirit. The spiritual gifts that we refer to, that, that uh, the Apostle Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that the spiritual gifts are the work of the Holy Spirit, but it has a lot to do with the will of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit would have his will and his way inside the life of a believer. Is that happening for you? Is that happening for me? I mean, that's the goal as you and I talk about walking with Christ, growing in Christ. Is it the Spirit, the very person of God who's inside of you, mind blower, would be developing you, speaking to you? And then the emotions of the Holy Spirit we find in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20, where it says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't live your life in such a way that you have to have your life go exactly like you think, and you end up grieving the Holy Spirit for how the Holy Spirit wanted to lead you. So not only uh, is the Holy Spirit a person, as we've said, the Holy Spirit is God. I can't overemphasize that. Is it okay to pray to the Holy Spirit? Yes. Is it okay to pray to Jesus? Yes. Okay to pray to God the Father? Yes. God the Father is God. God Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit is God. The Father's not the Spirit. The Son isn't the Father. All three are the manifestation of God himself in beautiful, very distinct ways to us. Verse 16, he mentions being this helper, which means advocate. I don't know about you, but I like helping people. I, I, I like being an advocate for people, and yet there are deep ways that I need an advocate. And you need to know today that the Holy Spirit may be more than a politician. In fact, a lot more than a politician, a lot more than a pastor, a lot more than a father or a mother or a best friend or a spouse or someone you just randomly meet. 
is deeply more committed to you as an advocate than anyone else that you know in this life. Advocate, someone who really is fighting for you. It also mentions that he is, in verse 17, the spirit of truth. He is a spirit of truth, and it means a counselor. Again, I meet with people as a counselor at different times. You do as well. Um, some of you may play the role of, as like a chaplain to different people. That's wonderful. That's great. And yet the brilliance and capacity of the Holy Spirit to be your counselor. Again, whatever pain, whatever family of origin, whatever loss, whatever grief, whatever fear of the future, whatever it is that you're going through, to know that I have, a, I have, I have an advocate, I have a, I have a counselor, right, in, right inside of me, the scriptures say. Um, and so basically, what, what does this mean is, is, that, is that this Holy Spirit speaks to us. That's something else here that the Holy Spirit is, uh, is doing as a person, is he's speaking to you. And if you say, I don't really know that I've ever heard the Holy Spirit speak to me. Um, I don't know if I've ever really had that, that, that reminder of, of, of even that the Holy Spirit does speak to me. Um, for, in fact, for some of us, we're hearing a voice that reminds us that we failed. Some of us, the voice that we hear is that we need to do more. Some, voice, the, some of us, the overwhelming voice is, if you do enough, you'll be loved. If you try harder, God will accept you. And the main thing that the, that the person of the Holy Spirit wants you to know and hear is that he's with you. He's for you. He's your advocate. He's fighting for you. He's not coming after you in some way. Um, verse 26, I love how clear Jesus is here for those disciples then and now who's asking, well, just specifically, how does the Holy Spirit speak to me? Verse 26, Jesus says, the Spirit will bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Again, this is incredibly deep, but I want you to try to, try to understand it here. Jesus is equating himself with having equality with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will speak to you and remind you of what? The same things I've already said to you. Yes, we need a new, fresh filling and presence of the Holy Spirit to speak to us in certain ways. Yes. But fundamentally, foundationally, Jesus is reminding us that the Holy Spirit's voice sounds a lot like Jesus' voice. And where is Jesus' voice found? In the Word. It's in the Word. Um, application, the greatest way to develop my relationship with the Holy Spirit, the greatest way for you to be developing that relationship with the Holy Spirit is to listen. How much time in my prayer or in my prayer life am I listening? And I don't know about you, but usually praying means to talk, right? <laughs> praying means to fill God's ear and mind with my request, right? Sure, there's a part of prayer that is that, but the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And so a, pr a part of our prayer life, much to be developed, is that idea of listening to the Holy Spirit, being still, being quiet, so that when we're there in prayer, the Holy Spirit can do exactly what Jesus is saying, remind us of the very things that Jesus has spoken to us. It's that moment when you and I are about to choose to go headlong into sin 
And yes, we do choose to do that on, on purpose at times. But in our pursuit of that, the Holy Spirit has the power to speak to you, to rescue you from that and call you out of that ever before you even get into it. We know that he's promised to get us out of it, but yes, the Holy Spirit's powerful to even keep us from it. So that's what he means when he's talking about speaking to you here. Uh, so are we listening? The last question we're going to look at here is, is where? Where is the Holy Spirit? And real quickly, we might answer, well, the Holy Spirit is, is in those churches where everybody's just so, you know, like, like, like man, the Holy Spirit's got to be there, right? He's there. I know he is. Yes, the Holy Spirit's right here too. And let me take us a little bit deeper in what Jesus says. The Holy Spirit, verse 17, if you're curious where I'm getting this from, verse 17, Jesus referring to the Holy Spirit, he says, he dwells with you. And they're like, okay, that's cool. That's good. That's good to know because the prophet Isaiah talked about Emmanuel, God with us. It's good to know. God is with us. Lord Jesus, you must be saying you're God. Okay, good guys, you're tracking. He's with you. You got it. Good. Watch this one. Verse 17. He will be in you. What? What? Try to reread that later today. Try to memorize that later on tonight. And then try to just think about and let that just rest with you. Yeah, right. Some of you are doing it right now. The Holy Spirit lives inside of me. What? Take, literally, that to be a Christian, like standard, like 101, um, to be a Christian means that the Holy Spirit, God himself, has taken up residency inside of you. God has made his home abide inside of you. That changes everything. That changes everything. I mean, is that an advantage? Okay, yes. No brainer. That's the advantage that he's getting after here. Um, what else is the Holy Spirit doing? If you look in other parts of Scripture, um, the Holy Spirit connects us with Christ. That's exactly what the Holy Spirit is doing. He connects us with this real and vibrant, alive relationship that you have with Christ. He does that for us, not only on an intellectual, but an emotional level. Yes. The Holy Spirit prays. You ever thought about that one? Romans chapter 8 says that the Holy Spirit prays for you right now with groans that words cannot express because we do not even know what to pray for. Just quoting the Bible. That's what it says. Romans 8, you don't even know what to pray for. I don't even know what to pray for. We pray. That's what's on our heart. But the Holy Spirit is interceding for you. I need to know that. I need to know that when I'm too weak to pray, I need to know that whenever I forgot to pray or my life got too busy to pray, that the Holy Spirit is praying for me. Jesus reminds uh, Peter of this. Satan has asked Ask to sift you like wheat. I'm praying for you, Peter. This is encouraging for those of us that, that, that begins to understand that God's commitment to me is greater than my commitment to him. Praise God for that. Praise God that that's what the power of the Holy Spirit really is all about. Uh, the Holy Spirit's also doing convicting of sin. And we're like, hold on a second. I like to know that he was a helper. I like that he was my counselor. I like that he was my advocate. But the, what are you talking about? Convicting 
of sin. It's getting a little too serious. He's taking up too much space inside my life. Who gave him that much control? This is very loving action of the Holy Spirit to convict us. And this is, this is not talking about you convicting someone or someone convicting you of sin, but this is the very work of the Holy Spirit inside the life of a believer being light. Jesus saying he's light to the world. Now, the beauty is that light doesn't just shine out to the world where Christians become judgmental of other people. That light is light unto oneself. The Holy Spirit residing inside of you, pointing out things that's not godly, that's not of his character, it's not of his nature. And essentially that convicting of sin by the Holy Spirit, he uses his word to do that. Just like a surgeon is going to use a scalpel who's incredibly skilled at using that scalpel. The Holy Spirit does the very same thing with his word. He, he tells us and explains that in the book of Hebrews. He says the word of God is, is alive. The word of God is active. And the, and the word of God is like a double-edged sword. It penetrates so deep that it divides the soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and it judges thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It's not me that judges it. It's not you that just stop doing that. And this is a word for some of us. Stop playing the Holy Spirit in somebody else's life. Quit playing the morality cop. It's way beyond your pay grade. It's not the role that God's called you to do. Uh, Rather, inviting the Holy Spirit. This is what David does so beautifully in the psalm. Psalm 139. Search me, O Lord. Test me. Try me. Know my heart. And see if, there are any, see if there be any way in me that's sinful. And always the answer would be yes. And then he says, but lead me into the way of everlasting. Uh, verse 27 is one of the last things here that we'll mention today. And by the way, there's not even enough time here for us to talk about or go as deep as we really want to regarding the Holy Spirit. But in our text today, verse 27, he says, my peace I leave with you. This is so deeply encouraging. My peace. Not not the kind of peace that the world gives you. That that if you played your cards right, or if you gambled right, or if you were just darn faithful or disciplined enough, you would be so peaceful. No, no, my peace, which transcends a broken life, which transcends an unjust, corrupt system, My peace that's with you, and it's not even a feeling of peace, but once again, he's drawing us back to my very presence is with you. That is the peace that he's referring to. Therefore, concluding in verse 27, he says, since that's true, since all of that talk about the Holy Spirit is true, don't let your hearts be troubled. My heart, your heart is is, going to naturally sort of just drift towards being troubled, upset, overwhelmed. Don't let it. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And lastly, he says, don't let your hearts be afraid. That's the empowering Holy Spirit with you and in you. We don't have to live lives of being so afraid and so caught up in Am I alone in this existence? And does anybody really know what I'm going through? 
The last invitation um, is that of trading up. Once again, we come back around to this notion of trading up. And Jesus, in Mark chapter 8, he asked a question, and I'll leave us with this question. Mark chapter 8, verse 36, 37. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? That's an invitation to trade up. And in trading up, it means repenting and believing. Always means that. And the repenting is always turning from that thing, that habit of lesser value. That's what repentance means. When we say repent, or Jesus himself says repent, he's saying be done with lesser things. Believe, part of the gospel, means turn to something of immeasurable greatness and value and worth. And it's not a thing, it's a person. Jesus, the embodying Holy Spirit who's with us. Let's pray together. Father, we, we confess this is too much for us to even take in. And we agree with the psalmist, David's prayer, saying, Lord, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I cannot attain it. So, Lord, in our inability to understand it, to to truly fully even believe in it, and even to walk therein, we pray for grace. We pray for mercy. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence in us. We pray that your abiding presence and power would truly overflow through our lives beautifully in this city. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would lead us to truly confessing any known sin and then that you would lead us to to lives of not only repentance, but belief. Belief in you. Lord Jesus, thank you for your mercy. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence with us now. Amen.